Amen. Praise the Lord. It's, it always makes me smile a little bit when the, the hymns don't come quick enough going on to the next verse. It happens all the time in our church. And I am useless with knowing hymns. Um, I probably know the first line of most hymns of the first verse. Um, the second verse or the third verse, I am, I've had it. Um, I, always, I always admire people who can quote hymns during their, their um, prayers. Uh, and I know um, Brother Billy was doing that um, last night and on Sunday. And I, I love that. I, listen, I love listening to people who uh, you know, quote scripture and then quote a verse of a hymn. Uh, and I remember really listening to a story about somebody who would really like to do that, but was always afraid in case he got the, the words wrong. And one day in prayer meeting, he decided that, that he was going to do that, and he stood up to pray, uh, and he started quoting the verse of a hymn, and he said, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light, and his mind went blank. In the light, in the light of the silvery moon. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Uh, we're continuing our series looking at um, prison experiences of the Bible. And so far, we've seen Joseph in the prison of promotion. And even though Joseph was in prison for something he hadn't done himself, he was falsely imprisoned, uh, the Bible says that God was with him. And God used that experience for Joseph then to be able to go from the pit to the prison to the palace and end up being the second in command of Egypt and get not only Egypt through seven years of famine, but to save the nation of Israel. And then Sunday night, we looked at Samson and Samson failed to live up to his potential. And as a result, he was chastised by the Lord. There was a lot of things that he lost in the prison, but that loss caused Samson to call upon the Lord like he had never done before. And the Lord answered his prayer in that prison. And then we saw Jeremiah uh, again was doing exactly what God had called him to do. Had preached the message as straight as could be. And as a result, was thrown into prison by King Zedekiah. And it was in that prison that Jeremiah grew. And as he prayed to the Lord, he saw again the Lord come through and answer prayer. And Jeremiah drew closer to the Lord in that time of imprisonment and was even provided for in that prison because he was fed in that prison, even though Israel and Jerusalem were suffering a time of famine um, during that imprisonment. So we saw Jeremiah's growth. So sometimes our prisons help us to be promoted, as it were, in our Christian walk, that the Lord wants to advance us uh, to a, a specific area in our life. Sometimes the Lord chastises us and gets us to a point where he gets our attention so that we can call upon him like we've never done before. Sometimes he puts us in these prisons to enable us to grow. Uh, because when something is uh, put under pressure, and as we said the other day, when a muscle is torn, in that break-in, the muscle grows, and sometimes the Lord breaks us in these prisons in order for us to grow uh, even better, uh, even closer to the Lord in our walk with him. And then last night, we looked at John the Baptist in his prison of doubt. Uh, even though he proclaimed Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even though he knew Christ was the Messiah because God had promised him that he would see the Spirit descending upon the Messiah. He knew all of that, yet he still doubted. 
Art thou he, or do we look for another? And in that prison of doubt, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke um, to John and encouraged John. And even in a, a time of doubt in our lives, God speaks great encouragement to our hearts. If we've noticed some kind of common denominator in all of these prisons is that, is that the Lord was with every single one. There's not a time that one of these characters went to prison where the Lord didn't care about them or the Lord didn't answer their prayer or the Lord wasn't with them. So you might be in a prison tonight. It might be a prison of doubt, of confusion, frustration. It might be a prison of a physical nature, of a mental nature. It might be a prison that you feel like there is no way out, no one cares, and no one knows what you're going through. But the Lord is right there with us through every step of the way. And what I want to look at tonight is in Acts chapter 12, we see Peter. And this prison is a prison of victory. How is that possible to have victory in a time of imprisonment? Well, we know in the early uh, days of the church, the church grew incredibly. Uh, We see uh, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls coming to know Christ as their saviour. And then in Acts chapter 4, Uh, we see that there were 5,000 people, 5,000 men. That's not including the women and the youngsters. That's just 5,000 men. So in the feeding of the 5,000, because only 5,000 men were mentioned, uh, which were those who were of military age, which is the way in which um, people were counted in the Bible. Uh, If you counted then the the younger men and the women and the children, it's possible that you're talking about 20,000 people that the feeding of the, what we know as the 5,000. So when it says there were 5,000 men added to this, there could have been 20,000 people added to the church. The church was growing. The church was excited. How different it is now from the time that Peter was in the upper room to the time that Peter was standing there on the steps of the temple on Pentecost proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. What a difference. And the church is on fire. It is growing. It is exciting. But not everybody is pleased. Do you know when the church begins to grow, not everybody will be pleased. There's going to be a few people that are upset. The Jews were not happy that the church was growing. They weren't happy that God was working. They weren't happy uh, that God's power was felt by normal people. And the Jews hated the early church because the church claimed that Christ was indeed the Messiah. The Jewish leaders had tried arresting the apostles. They'd even told Peter and John, do not proclaim this name. And what did Peter and John say? We would rather obey God than obey man. So this was an exciting time in the church, even though Peter and John were arrested, even though Stephen, for his faith, I don't like to say he was stoned to death. I'd rather say he was rocked to sleep. I think that's more fitting. So even though Stephen, as he boldly proclaims um, Jewish history and, 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 uh, and threads the scarlet thread of the gospel right the way throughout the, uh, Israel's history, uh, Stephen uh, is, is martyred. And Saul of Tarsus is an instrument that the, the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin are using to really go after the church. So it's an exciting time for the church because they grow in. But it's a difficult time for the church because they are under incredible persecution. And that brings us to our passage today. 
at a time of excitement. Isn't it incredible that sometimes in a time of excitement in our lives, maybe we've, we've had some kind of victory and we're like, oh, yes, we come out to church on a Sunday night and we're ready to storm hell's gate with a water pistol and we're ready to take the devil on in a fist fight ourselves. Sunday night we come out to the church and we're on top of the world and then Monday morning we go into work and we fall flat on our faces. Isn't that always the same? You know, the church is having incredible growth. It's an exciting time. And what happens? Peter is imprisoned. And it says in Acts chapter 12 and verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he'd apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarturians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel. But though I thought, he saw a vision. Father, we thank you again for this night, for this time together, for this opportunity to come around you a word. And Father, we pray tonight that you would help us to recognize the fact that sometimes, even though we feel like we're in a situation that makes no sense, even though we feel like we're in a situation that has entrapped us, that we are incarcerated all alone, that it feels like one of these prison experiences, we can have the victory. The victory is already ours. There's nothing we need to do because according to the scripture, the victory for the believer in Christ was already won at the cross of Calvary. So, Father, we are thankful for the victory that we have. But, Father, I pray you would enable us to appreciate all that we have in Christ. Father, when we're in these prison experiences and we feel alone, we feel frightened, we feel uncertain, we feel confused, Father, I pray that in those moments we would know your presence like never before in our lives. That we would experience your peace like we've never experienced it before. And we would be able to enjoy the victory that is ours because of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has achieved for us upon Calvary's tree. So, Father, we just pray that you would meet the needs of your people here tonight. I pray that if there's anyone facing a, a, some kind of a, a prison experience right now, that they would know you were peace, they would know you were presence, they would know you were power, they would know you were purpose, and that through this, they might receive a great victory, and that others might see Christ in and through their lives. Father, we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this passage opens with the Apostle James put to death, and Peter being cast into prison, and he too is about to be put to death. And Herod does this because he's gaining favor with the Jewish people. Now remember, Herod is an Edunium, he's an Edomite. Uh, he's not Jewish, um, so Herod will do anything he can to carry favor 
with the Jewish people. And as he sees uh, putting James to death uh, is a popular uh, thing, then he takes on Peter, um, just in order to carry favor. But in this prison experience, even though it is Herod flexing his muscles to prove his power, it's actually God's muscles we see being flexed, and it is God's power we see on display far greater than Herod's power. Here in this prison, Peter has a great victory. Peter is in this prison again because of no fault of his own. What we need to realize is this. We could be living a godly life. We could be doing exactly what God has asked us to do. We could be studying our Bibles every day. We could be praying without ceasing. We could not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man that of some is. And we could be in church every time the doors are open. We could be witnessing to every single person we come in contact with. And we could be doing exactly what God wants us to do. That does not excuse us from the trials of life, from the valley experiences of life, from the prison experiences of life. Peter was doing everything that he was called to do. And yet, trouble still found him. Sometimes, the closer you live your life, in accordance with how the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to live, can often mean that more trouble finds your path. Why? Because Christ said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Christ said that they hated me, so guess what? They're going to hate you. So don't feel like as long as we do everything God has told us to do, we're going to have an easy time. Now then, Do not take that the wrong way and think, ah, well, as long as I don't come to church and I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I don't witness and I don't tithe and I don't, that you'll get off scot-free as well because that's not how it works either. But Peter finds himself in prison and he just highlights the fact that our days are short and are full of trouble like Job said. You know, David was a man who trouble seemed to find him. Uh, Elijah was a man uh, that, that struggled after great victories. Remember on Mount Carmel, um, in 1 Kings chapter 19, on Mount Carmel there, he takes on 850 prophets, and he, he, has, he has a great uh, battle with those prophets, and he says, if you were God, can light this altar, then we'll worship him. But if my God can light this altar, then we'll worship him. All day... The prophets are cutting themselves and they're shouting and chanting and they're trying to get the attention of their God to no avail. And then Elijah pours 12 barrels of water over the, over the altar at the time of the evening sacrifice. What, what's so big a deal about the time of the evening sacrifice? Well, let me ask you this question. What time was the evening sacrifice? Okay, evening sacrifice was sunset. So it was the last sacrifice of the day. What happens at sunset? It goes dark. Yeah. Awesome. So what can you see on top of Mount Carmel in the darkness for everybody to see what is visible? God's fire. So Elijah is on Mount Carmel. He calls fire down from heaven. The whole of Israel, we are told, is gathered around Mount Carmel and they see the fire come down. 
Elijah experiences this great victory. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And what happens then? He runs away in fear. And he suffers incredible bouts of depression. Just because we do the right thing, it doesn't mean we get away with no problems at all. Sometimes after the greatest victories that we have in our lives can come the greatest battle. Do you want to know when you ought to be more prepared? You ought not to be more prepared going into the battle. You ought to be more prepared after the victory. Because that's when the real battle comes. Well, you say, that doesn't make sense because I've won the battle and I've gained the victory. But it's those times that the real difficulties can come our way. And that's what happens with Peter. He's, he's led all these people to the Lord. Thousands of people. The church is growing. And it's incredible. Moving of God at this time. And then Peter's thrown in prison. But here's the thing. In that prison, Peter experiences a few things. First of all, he experiences... That he, he, Peter experienced the peace of God. In verse 6, it says, And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Peter is about to be tried the next morning, and in all possibility is going to suffer the same fate as James. So Peter is about to be tried the next morning, and Peter is about to be put to death. Now then, put yourself in that situation. What would you have been doing the night before? I tell you what I would have been doing. I'd have been trying to get out of those chains. If I was chained up next to those two soldiers, I would be thinking, right. I've seen those prison escape films. I could do this. I could dig a tunnel or something. I could get out of this. But you would, wouldn't you? You'd be thinking, right, how can I get out of this? Maybe you'd be pleading your case to the guards and saying, oh, come on, boys. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a troublemaker. And maybe you'd be pleading your case. Maybe you'd be just begging God, please, Lord, don't do this to me. But what is Peter doing? Let's read it again. Verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was, what was he doing? Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's spell it out together. Sleeping. Everybody can read in Northern Ireland, that's awesome. He was sleeping. So what does that indicate? It indicates that Peter was at peace. Peter wasn't stressed and panicked, and Peter wasn't trying to work things out himself. You see, the biggest problem we have when we go into a prison experience is we try and fix it. We want to take matters into our own hands. We say, right, I want to know why I'm here. Well, because we're logical people. Well, 50% of the congregation are logical. Um, and say, which 50%? I've already alienated drivers, women, um, teenagers. So I think there's only about two or three people left in the church that I haven't offended. And I've only been here for three days. So it's, a good, it's good going. Where was I? Oh, yeah, sleep in. Um, so, you know, when you think about it, we, we try and take matters into our own hands because we want to work things out logically. 
Why am I in this position? How can I get out of this position? But what we need to be saying is, okay, God, you've put me in this position. What can I learn from this position? Peter experienced the peace of God. How do we know that? Because he was fast asleep. And this is not a new concept. If you go back to Daniel chapter 2, and we see in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill all the wise men in the whole uh, of Babylon because they cannot interpret his dream. And when Daniel finds out about what's going on, he says, well, wait a minute, let's have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer meeting, and then God reveals to Daniel in a night vision. It's another word for a dream. What do you need to be doing in order to have a dream? It's the same answer as before. Sleep in. So what does that indicate? It just indicates that those that really trust the Lord are able to sleep. You know, when we talk about, oh, if only, uh, you know, when we go through the storms of life, um, I, 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 I kind of, I want the, uh, the, the, the Lord on our boat type of thing. I, I don't want to have the Lord on the boat. I want to be able to sleep like the Lord in the boat. That just indicates peace. You've heard the expression, you know, when you, oh, they've slept like a baby. I know that's a daft expression because babies get up every two hours and they'd normally wet the bed. But, um, but you understand what I'm saying, you know, when you have that peace, that everything's okay, you, you can just go to sleep. When we're in turmoil in the nighttime, and our minds, as we spoke about the other night, our minds are going over and over and over things. And um, last night we said about those doubts coming into our mind, and our sleep evades us. But when you know the peace of God, that peace of God that passes all understanding, then we're going to be able to sleep in the storm. We're going to be able to sleep in the prison. And Peter, right now, is experiencing the peace of God. He's not panicked about what's going to happen tomorrow. He's not stressing about what's going to happen tomorrow. He's not um, losing his mind about what's going to happen tomorrow. He's just trusting God because Isaiah said, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And Peter had this peace for several reasons. Peter experienced this peace because he trusted God's word. What did God say to Peter that Peter knew everything was going to be okay? If you go to John chapter 20, the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Peter, this is how you are going to die. And you're going to do that when you're old. And you might say, blimey, that was a bit deep. Jesus, you know, being on the beach, having breakfast, that's a deep conversation to have. But that actually helped Peter in the prison Because Peter could simply say, tomorrow's not my time. The Lord said that it was going to happen when I'm old. Verily, verily, I send to thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and uh, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Peter had a peace. Because he trusted God's word. Sometimes our peace evades us, or God's peace evades us, because we doubt his word. 
Oh yeah, but is God really powerful to come through for me? Is God really able to answer my prayer? Is God really able to give me the strength I need to uh, be able to get through this? Is God able to meet my need in this particular way? Is God able to trust his word? Is God really with me right now? Yeah, because his word promised you that he would never, ever, ever leave you. Peter had that peace because he just took God at his word. He had that peace because he'd committed himself to God's care. Peter was the one who wrote later on, casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. And Peter knew that because he had done that by experience. You know, in the, do you remember the, the, the times when you used to have the shops where you'd, you'd go in and the person behind the counter would kind of pick the sweets? Do you remember those type of shops? There's a story from America about the old country store. Uh, and um, this little boy used to go in with his mother. And every time they went shopping, the storekeeper would say to him, take a handful of candy. And the little boy would never, ever take any sweets. The storekeeper then would reach into the box and give him a handful. And one day the mother asked him, why is it when the shopkeeper asks you to take a handful, you never do? And the little boy replied, because his hands are bigger than mine. His hands are bigger than mine. We can't carry these cares upon us. Because they will crush us. But Peter was able to have peace in the prison because he knew how to cast his cares upon the Lord. You know, it'd be like the old French woman who was kind of walking down the street with a, uh, with a, with a bundle of sticks on her shoulder and she was struggling to walk down the streets and then a, a horse and cart pulled up and the, the man said, come on, madam, come in, come into the cart. And she got up into the cart and she was still holding on to the bundle of sticks. And the Frenchman said, the driver of the cart said, Madam, he said, put, put the bundle down. She said, no, it's, it's not the horse's burden to bear. And you think, well, that's ridiculous. How daft is that? But we do it all the time. Because we hold on to our problems. We hold on to our issues. We hold on to our difficulties. And the Lord is saying, cast them onto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why? Because his burden's light. His yoke is easy. Peter had that peace because he was able to cast his cares upon the Lord. When we worry, how, how, let me ask you this question. How many of you are worry warts? How many of you worry about everything? How many of you do enough worrying for the both of you? You know, worry's bad. Stress causes the heart rate to go up and the arteries to constrict, which in turn increases your blood pressure. Increased blood pressure can lead to heart attacks and strokes. Stress increases your cholesterol, which can lead to hardening of the arteries. Stress increases sugar levels and can lead to type 2 diabetes. Stress can weaken the body's immune system, which makes the body more susceptible to disease. Cast all your cares upon the Lord, because when we carry them ourselves, it stresses us out. And that just causes more problems further down the line. All of these stress factors created by worrying about our problems 
And Peter just says, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to worry. God's got this. And he just slept like a baby. Peter experienced God's peace. But not only did he experience God's peace in the prison, he experienced God's presence. And in verse 7 it says, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Peter is sound asleep in the prison. Imagine what went through his mind when he was awakened by this miracle, having an angel as his alarm clock. This just reminds us that God is never late. God is always on time. Our, our minds worry a lot about the Lord not arriving on time or the Lord not coming through for us, but he's never late. He always comes through at the perfect time. Consider Abraham as he raises up the knife as he's about to sacrifice his only son in obedience to God's word. And then the Lord says, my time. There's the ram for the sacrifice. When Saul cornered David and was moving in on him and the Philistines entered the land, what happened? Right at the right time, Saul departed. So David's life was spared. When the Red Sea... Uh, when the Israelites came before the Red Sea, the Red Sea was in front of them and Pharaoh's army was behind them and there was nowhere to go. But at the perfect time, God said to Moses, stretch forth thy rod. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Red Sea parted at the exact time it was meant to part. The feeding of the 5,000, when the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples are there and all the people are gathered around him and that little boy comes forward with that little packed lunch and it came at the right time. To feed an, an entire multitude. God closed the lion's mouths for Daniel at the right time. God raised Lazarus from the dead at the right time. The Lord shows up to, uh, to, to wake Peter up at the right time. You know, maybe you are facing something right now and you're like, oh Lord, come on, I just got to get out of this. Maybe it's not the right time yet. Maybe whatever it is that we need to learn hasn't been learned yet. But we can trust him that it'll be the right time. You know, we look at the world around us and think, oh, what a mess. What's going on with, with Russia and what's happening in the world? And, you know, the, the prices that are going through the roof and the cost of living is crazy. And uh, you look at all of these issues that the world is facing and, oh, what's happening? It's all in the Lord's time. We can stress about it all we want. But one day the Lord's coming back for his church. But if he hasn't come back yet, it's not his time. The help of the Lord showing up at the right time from Peter. And nothing was going to stop Peter. No doors in that prison were going to stop Peter from walking out. The angel of the Lord. Uh, it's interesting that in that chapter, the angel of the Lord actually smote twice. Here, he smites Peter in verse 7. And that's more of a, of a gentle tap. But then later on in verse 23, we see the angel of the Lord smiting Herod. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. That's Herod because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. 
How incredible that the same smiting by the same person can either be one to encourage or it can be one to judge. We find Peter's release that God is in the business of taking off the shackles. I I love that. Peter is bound. Peter is tied up between two soldiers. He's handcuffed, as it were, to these two soldiers. And God is in the unbinding business. There are those in the world today that are shackled by their sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ's death upon Calvary sets the captive free. It loosens the chains. It breaks those chains of bondage and sin. It's incredible that when you read in Daniel chapter 4 and you see the four Hebrew boys, um, how were they thrown into the fire? They were thrown bound into the fire. They They were bound up thrown into the fire. But when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he says, Lo, I see four men loose and walking around. And the fourth man looks like the Son of God. That fire, that prison, was actually the means to break what was binding those four boys. The prison here, as Peter is bound to those guards... God is in the chain-breaking process. That's his business. Maybe we are stuck in this prison and we can't get out of it. But we are trying to get ourselves out. We just need to recognize God's peace. Realize God's presence. And then we'll understand God's purpose. Peter experienced God's purpose in this prison. When he came out, it says in verse 12, and when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered there praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhonda, uh, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they, they, uh, and they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they'd opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Peter experienced God's purpose. The Lord used Peter's prison to teach people, uh, to teach pe- Peter. She sells seashells on the seashore. Um, God used this prison to show Peter that other people were praying for him. And I think this is something that we kind of misunderstand in the church today. You know, isn't it sad that the prayer meeting is probably the least attended meeting of the whole week, and yet it is the most important meeting of the whole week? We can't do anything without prayer. And you need to realize that you need the person next to you praying for you, and you need to pray for the person next to you. If Peter wasn't in prison, would the church have come together like they did to pray? Why is it that it takes almost a national disaster for us to turn around and say, right, we need a day of prayer? Every day ought to be a day of prayer. But it takes something catastrophic to get the church together to pray. 
Sometimes it takes a prison experience for us to recognize the importance of prayer. Peter saw the purpose in this prison. The church couldn't do much. They couldn't storm the barricades. They were, they were frightened. You know, they couldn't go in and plead on Peter's behalf. They couldn't go in and take on Herod. They couldn't go in and provide lawyers and uh, people to argue his case, but they could pray. You know, people often come to me and say, oh, pastor, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. I don't know what my, my gifts are. I don't know how I can help in the church. Every Christian can pray. You want to know how to, how, to, how to help the church? Pray. Pray that the Lord will send laborers. Pray that the Lord will send the pastor. Pray that the Lord will enable uh, this ministry to keep on going. Pray that the Lord will enable people to go out and preach the gospel. Pray that the Lord will enable us to continue as a body of Christ because God needs this church and this community to be a lighthouse to a dark, desperate and wicked world so we can point the, those that are ahead into the rocks that are about to shipwreck their lives that we can warn them about the dangers and say that Christ is the only hope for salvation among men. We can pray. I can't teach in a Sunday school. Then pray. Oh, I can't, you know, I just, I just don't seem to be able to get my words out. I can't witness. Then pray. I just don't know what to do in this situation. Pray. As we pass through life and as we move through various troubles and trials and prisons... We're not always going to understand the purpose of God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When we're in the time of difficulty, Romans 8.28 doesn't make sense. Because at that moment of time, it doesn't feel like all things work together for good. It doesn't feel like uh, that everything is working uh, right now for God's glory because it feels hard, difficult, tough, confusing. We don't know why the Lord allows these things in our lives. But the purpose of that prison might be for you to grow. There's still victory in the prison. Because even in the prison, you can know God's peace. You can know God's presence. And you can know what God's purpose is for you. You might not know what the purpose is of the prison. But God has a purpose for you. It may be to help somebody else. You may have gone through a tragedy that you simply don't understand. And maybe somebody in the church is about to go through something similar. The pastor and the leadership of the church can only help so much. They might be able to sympathize. But sometimes in a situation like that, you need somebody to empathize. And only somebody who's gone through that difficulty, who's gone through that prison themselves can be the help to the person who's about to face the same trials. Sometimes our prisons are just to glorify God because his power is seen working in and through our lives. The difficulty is we want to work it all out. And we can't. We've just got to trust the Lord. Maybe you're in a prison right now and you can't sleep then you need to ask the Lord for the peace that passes understanding because he's promised it to us. He's told us, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's told us that he'll give us a peace that passes understanding. 
Maybe you're in a prison right now and you're confused because it doesn't make sense. Then ask for God's peace. Maybe you are so lonely. Nobody understands. Nobody can empathize. And in fact, at this moment in time, people are not even sympathizing, let alone empathizing. Then ask God to be able to feel his presence. And maybe then, when we experience his his peace and we know his presence, then we'll have a glimpse of what his purpose is. Because in every opportunity or every circumstance we face, God has the opportunity to be glorified. Everything we do ought to be done for the glory of God. And that includes being in these difficult times of our lives. They're not fun by any stretch of the imagination. I understand that. But sometimes we see God's hand work far more in times of difficulties than we ever do in times of success. Father, we are thankful again for this day, for this time together, and for this incredible privilege to come around your word. So, Father, we just pray that whatever the need is here again tonight, that needs would be met. Father, you know each heart here tonight. You know those who are struggling, those who are worrying, those who are struggling to cast their cares upon you because this prison doesn't make sense. But, Father, I pray you'd grant them a peace tonight, a peace to just simply trust you a word. You've promised to never leave them and never forsake them, so they're not alone in this prison. Father, I pray that they may feel you a presence tonight. And as a result of that, as they pray, and as others pray for them, and then as they pray for others, they might understand that there can even be a great purpose in this prison. So, Father, we are thankful that you turn these prisons into prisons of victory when your will is done and we simply trust you for all things. So Father, would you just continue to speak to our hearts as we come to the close of this week and as we are about to close the week out on Friday, we just pray you continue to speak to hearts, you continue to encourage, that you continue to help and that through all of this, we'll know you are peace and presence. For we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing our last hymn together, Victory in Jesus. Amen.